So welcome back once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast as uh, Keith and I play catch-up review time because yes, we are completionists and yes, we need to cover every week in 2021. So what we're going to be doing this podcast is we're going to be covering titles from the 13th of October 2021. So again, just to clarify, there will always be a few spoilers throughout. So feel free to skip reviews if you want to go into them completely clean. But we like to think enough time has passed in the last six weeks that you should hopefully be up to date with these titles. But uh, yeah, as I say, just a wee bit of a spoiler warning just in case. And again, we'll be covering titles that were released on our side of the world on this date, not necessarily what will correlate with release dates uh, released by the big two and by the indie companies as well. So again, we're going to cover the 13th of October here. So your host is always Alan, Coffee and Heroes owner and operator and joined of course by mr keith miller mr marvel himself how are you i am all good since the last time we spoke about four minutes ago so <laughs> ready to rock and roll again maintain the illusion alan maintain the illusion it's, it's a is that what a hooker does turns illusions for money easy tiger sorry that's an old arrested development joke <laughs> uh, anyway. I, I i clearly i clearly haven't uh, haven't reached that uh, that stage of the series but uh I'm thoroughly enjoying it, enjoying it, and and on another note, uh, you recommended the Smartless podcast to me mm-hmm. uh, some weeks ago, uh, and uh, which includes some members of the cast of Arrested Development uh, plus, uh, yeah, and it's just it's it's fantastic. I am thoroughly enjoying that podcast. It's a it's a laugh out loud podcast. Isn't it amazing how sort of you know actors and musicians and stuff can start podcasts, and because they have such a circle of famous friends, they can just invite nearly anybody you can think of to come on and chat nonsense for half an hour <laughs> the last one i listened to was brian cranston from uh, break a bad and Malcolm in the middle mm-hmm. but uh, that was i mean it's just it's a really it just seems i mean i know they're actors but it just seems like a really genuine yeah take you know on, on what they're doing but uh, yeah thanks for that recommendation you're uh, very welcome of the, of the smartless podcast off the back of your arrested development reference oh, arrested development what a show Anyway, we're here to talk about comics, as I say. So we're going to be talking about releases 13th of October. So for my breakdown this week, I had 23 titles in total, more than half of which were DC. Jeez, 12 DC out of those 23. Two Marvel. And nine indie books there as well. You hurt my heart every week. Yeah, but you have over half of your titles are Marvel. What are your numbers? Three. I had uh, four more than you this week, Alan. And you own a comic store, so, uh, you know, uh, 27 titles for me. Yes, over half of them are Marvel, just over half of them at 14. But I had eight DC relative to your tiny little two Marvel and five indies. So my indie numbers were a wee bit down this week. Yeah, they are indeed. And uh, the first book we're going to kick things off with as a quick pick. I'm sorry, Keith, as much as you want it to be and as much as you wish it to be, it's not an indie title. It's a DC title. Uh Uh-huh. I know exactly. It's it's a weird one, and I was just about to say I'm kicking off with an indie title. Just can't get it in my head. But nice house on the lake, uh, by uh, by James Tynion, Tynion, James Tynion the fourth, and Alvaro Martinez Bueno is in fact the DC title and not not an image title. This is number five. It's the end of the first arc, and as with every issue in this amazing series, it just leaves you desperately looking for more. Uh, bueno's visuals are stunning and beautifully detailed. The art does a brilliant job of matching the pace and energy of Tynan's story. And the story and character deepens as we learn more about the current goings on in the house and about the character's shared past with Walter, 
through the eyes of the astronomer this time. And there's a shot cliffhanger that I think chances to change the entire direction of what I think is this year's best series. Interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think we said nearly after every issue, this is the customary mention, we should say, of Nice House on the Lake. And this was the issue that ended with your uh, aha, I told you so moment, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. something that you had worked out, a, a character appearing that had been mentioned but not seen. Yes, there was a, a character who was given all of the characters in this series. If you're not reading it, if you're not reading it, why not? What's wrong with you? Um, but but all the characters have been given. They have their their names, but they also have a a, a title based on their their job, whether that be the astronomer, the writer, the artist, uh, the you know the various various other other uh, the pianist. Uh, various other titles but they also have a little icon that's associated with that and related to that but in the early issues there was one character who has one name who was mentioned who has never appeared you know in the background story there was one uh title that was mentioned the painter that we had all assumed was the artist that they had assumed was the artist and it's not the painter is a completely different character and he's there as well <laughs> you know and i was i was expecting it i was expecting it and i was glad i was expecting it. it's not very often i get an aha moment over you alan you know but uh but yeah 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 you have to yeah there's credit where credit's due there now well all that spreadsheeting you've been doing and all that breakdown of characters you've been doing for nice house in the lake is uh paying off it seems it is a compelling title well this is it and and i thought i would reward you for this aha moment that you had because uh, as I said, we were uh, over at Thought Bubble and we managed to have a private audience with Mr. Tinian, Tinian, whatever you want to say. Uh, he actually, interestingly enough, when they introduced him, they said James Tinian the fourth, and they sort of went, Tinian, Tinian. And he just went, as long as you keep bringing the beer, you can call me what you want. Uh, <laughs> tremendously fun guy, really such a cool guy. But uh, I decided to reward you in that I asked the question that you ask every single issue we read this. It's why is this a DC title? This feels like an indie book. This feels like an image book or a boom book. Why is it DC? So so I decided to ask that question, and I was told that the answer was threefold. So number one, Alvaro Martinez Bueno is exclusive to DC as an artist. The thing is, nice. more, more artists are exclusive to Marvel and DC simply because writers can write five, six, seven titles a month, and artists can probably only draw one a month, so they make them exclusive. Uh, and he really wanted to work on this title with Alvaro, so that was uh, reason number one. Reason mm-hmm. two is that they let uh, Tinian and Bueno keep all the rights to the series. So if this was to really, go into, yeah, if this was going the other mediums, they would be very fairly compensated. They would, you know, have you know creative input. They would have production input. So that was number two, and number no, three. Credit where credits due. There, sorry to interrupt you. No, credit where credits due. That that's you know with what you know, has been recently revealed about Ed Brubaker and the Winter Soldier and, and, and some of the, and I know that is, there, there's reparations being made there, but I, I almost feel like the reparations have already been made because it's been become high profile within yeah. the medium of our, of our, of our preferred art form. I mean, credit to, credit to DC for that, yeah. for sure. Cause artists, artists absolutely should be paid and credited and, you know, that's their bread and butter. This is these guys pension. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, 100%. 100%. Yeah, well, reason three was definitely the most interesting reason for it. And uh, to quote a certain writer, he said, because the financial package was fucking incredible. So, uh, he was he was not 
you know, he was not shy about being honest, shall we say, but, but yeah, he talked about it a wee bit more and sort of talked about how he loved Vertigo titles growing up and, you know, people look at DC Black Label and most people want to just do uh, superhero stories but darker, you know, where's the, you know, independent thought stream, where's the original IP, where's, you know, that sort of thing, so he wanted to create something like that and that was another reason that uh, they went with DC as well, so... But yeah, regardless of company, I, again, I you know I echo Keith's sentiments entirely. This is easily one of the series of the year, if not the what's, series of the year. What's the trade situation on this one? Trade situation is going to be broken down into two. So the first trade has already been solicited, which will get you fully caught up. Uh, I think the first arc, though, might be the first six issues rather than the first five. I think this is going to be a 12-issue series. Is it? Um, so I think the trade's going to be issues right. one to six. Uh, That's interesting because obviously there's only ten icons on the uh, front cover that are highlighted at every issue. Well, wait until you see issue six, which has eleven icons. Oh, oh still playing with still playing with things. None of this die nonsense, you know. None of this. <laughs> we're telling you right now. This is twenty issues. Um, yeah, I believe it's going to be twelve. And uh, but yeah, just chat with Tinian as well, just as a slight offshoot. He's talked about. Department of Truth wants to be around 30 issues there thereabouts, but he has idea for spin-offs. Uh, Something is Killing the Children, he's got another spin-off idea. Obviously, House of Slaughter started recently. He just seems like a guy who loves the industry and uh, has loads of ideas and, you know, obviously wants to pursue those. So, yeah, and, and again, just a thoroughly, thoroughly lovely bloke. Uh, Speaking of Department of Truth, just a wee aside, uh, you haven't seen Inside Job, the animated series on Netflix? No, I don't think so, no. It's very, it's very funny. It's an animated show, and it's almost like Department of Truth, but with a slightly <laughs> more uh, family guy or, you know, that sort of bent to it. Uh-huh. It's, it's, very, it's very good fun. Very good okay. fun. Another one to add to the list then, I see. Uh-huh. Cool. So that was... Uh... The Nice House in the Lake, issue five. So going on to my first honourable mention from this week, and it is The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, number nine. So this is written by Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa and art by Robert Hack, and even had the tongue-in-cheek joke on the cover of Miss Me. There has been about two and a half years between issue eight and issue nine of this. You know, the Archie horror line is absolutely brilliant. You know, it was launched in the mid-2010s, and... It, it sort of breathed new life into an old-fashioned universe from a bygone era, which, let's be honest, Archie is. you know. But suddenly we had Afterlife with Archie, essentially The Walking Dead and Riverdale. You had Jughead the Hunger, where Jughead's a werewolf. You had Vampironica, and, of course, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. But what was cool about it was these these were titles that were all aimed at older readers. These were not aimed at like younger, dyed-in-the-wool Archie readers. And Sabrina especially has like this 1970s grindhouse vibe to it. It just absolutely made that title sore for me. But the thing was, it, it almost got too successful. It got noticed. The Riverdale, the TV show came along. And then suddenly the the creator of this, Roberto Guerra-Sacasa, went on to work with Riverdale, the show, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and the comic pretty much stopped dead in its tracks. But until now, until now, and it is back. And it seems like it's never been away. Like, it picks up instantly from where it left off, and you're not lost. You're straight back into that world. You know, between Sakasa's writing, Robert Hack's brilliant visuals, this series has not missed a step, and it will really get under your skin. Like, really get under your skin. Again, not for younger readers. Cannot emphasize this enough. Do not buy this for your kids and go, here's a Sabrina comic. Do not do it. Uh, it is one of the best hard titles out there, though, and absolutely incredible. I should 
I know you're never short of a few things to read, but I have a, a hardcover collection of issues one to eight of this. Uh, I should really throw your way at some point and uh, see if it, it gets under your skin in the same way it does for me. So, I will definitely read that in 2022 at some point. Already making years resolutions. I love it. <laughs> well, one thing I... <laughs> One thing I know you'll read plenty of in 2022 is Amazing Spider-Man and yeah. the next issue's out already. It was your pick last week. It's my pick this week. Amazing Spider-Man 76, which is Zeb Wells and Patrick Gleason of the, uh, what do they call them? The uh, the Beyond Board. Uh, they expertly, expertly take their hands to the second issue of uh, the Spider-Man Beyond Era, balancing Peter and Ben and balancing action and emotion. It's not an easy thing to have long-time readers like myself suspend their disbelief long enough to think that Peter is going to die in the 616 universe, but I think they do a fairly good job of tugging on those particular heartstrings here. Um, the tracking of the similarities and differences between Peter and Ben is really key to this. It's really interesting. The, the characterizations of Aunt May and MJ are, are just nice just spot on and the look at the corporately backed spider-man rather than the diy guy that we're used to is sufficiently different different from the you know from slots parker industries era to to be really interesting and also the inclusion of the daughters of the dragon in here is great uh it's it's, it's fantastic so there's a lot going on here there's a lot to like and you know the mantle is is definitely passed here i think uh, you're uh, you're enjoying this as much as you did 75 yeah very much so this just continued on that great vibe you know it was great to have it sort of weekly as a release it just continues that momentum as well and yeah i mean this this is the one with the cover where peter's lying in the hospital bed isn't mm -hmm. it and as mm -hmm. you say i mean we always have this thing that our heroes will always be okay and that good will win out in the end and so forth but any good story will actually have you just having that little sense of but what if they do kill them off? Because let's be honest, in, in comics, people never, you know, heroes never fully die. They'll be back in a year, two years, whatever. But it really felt yeah. in this like Peter was clinging to life. You're, you know what I mean? You're, you're really into wrestling at the minute. And, you know, wrestling is the, is where the, the whole concept of, of kayfabe was, was introduced. The, 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 the believing in disbelief, mm -hmm. the understanding that, you know, wrestling, while they are athletes, is, you know, this fake and, you know, but, but it's entertainment, and we do the same. We do the same with comics as mm -hmm. long-time readers. We know that there's a status quo that has to be adhered to eventually, but we can also we also convince ourselves to believe that that these characters are in danger. Yeah, you know, and 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 I think there's there's an element of that here, and I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a really really strong start to Amazing Spidey as we we chatted too about uh, on the last pod and then obviously with this one as well it's kept that high quality going so the future is bright for the title if not for Peter Ooh. I would say but uh, another one that definitely deserved to mention this week and I'll not go into too much detail because it's the last issue in the series but it's uh, Strange Adventures number twelve uh, written by Tom Keane mark off your bingo card uh, art by Mitch Dreads and Evan Doc Shaner so. This was a hell of a bittersweet end to this sci-fi epic tale. You know, relationships were tested, worlds were saved, characters were changed forever by the experience, and not always for the better, I thought. But I thought it was a series. Mm. It ended very satisfyingly. You know, it, it, it whetted the appetite for a reread of the entire series in the in the not-too-distant future. Yeah. You know, for I, I think it's up there with some of Keane's best work. Uh, I think that 
freed from the constraints of you know continuity with batman and you know th- this is this is the format i think keen thrives in 12 issue maxi series can tell a full story yeah. and goes to some really cool places i think yeah, it's interesting that you say that freed from continuity because if you think of rorschach freed from continuity supergirl freed from continuity this freed from continuity mr miracle mr miracle freed from continuity it's it's uh i think so and uh the human target also uh you know freed from continuity um yeah i mean i i would argue that this this got uh, this was anticipated for me because of the themes that were being addressed um and it it dropped down the list a wee bit just as the way king stuff does because it tends to be a wee bit of a slow burner and yeah and, and then it jumped up again it's not up there with supergirl for me but mm-hmm. it's 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 excellent and i agree with you i'm looking forward to a reread because i think those themes that i expected and hoped for will come out in that reread yeah i mean the the thing as well with the maxi series format is that it allows keen to work with some of the best artists out there you know you think of supergirl it's be quell Evely. you think of mr miracle it's mitch jerez you look at rorschach it's jorge fornes mm-hmm. and then in this case you know not not content with just having one great artist and mitch jerez here <laughs> you know he decided to use two and had him yeah. and doc shaner as well and and they knocked the art out of the park every issue i thought um there is a hardcover schedule for release i think it's in december and it is a glorious looking piece i mean i don't know if you saw mitch dredge shared some sort of early copies of it but obviously strange adventures kicks off with adam strange signing his autobiography you know would you like me to sign your book for you and if you take the dust jacket off it it basically looks like his book and then there's uh-huh. like a full signature on the inside and all this kind of stuff. So it's oh, really, cool. really beautifully designed and definitely one I'll be picking up, despite the fact I picked up cover A and cover B for every bloody issue. And it's, I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of, um, there's probably a lot of therapy in this stuff for, for Tom King, you know, mm-hmm. a man who was in, who was in Iraq, you know, and, and what that war was, was, was shown as on the media you know, especially the American media, especially the Fox News media, and what it actually was. Yeah. And uh, you know, so there's there's a lot there's a lot going on there. Um, and I, I, I yeah, looking forward to a reread. He's he's a, <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm not buying a card for the cult the King cult. I'm definitely it's not going to happen. <laughs> but man, he's he's getting better. He's getting better. I don't know. I think you know, by I the think, end, I think by the end of Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, you'll be a fully paid up member. I I'd say you're probably right, <laughs> but I, I almost I mean I know I know how. Uh, how infatuated we all were with his his Batman run, but honestly, I think Batman is just is just as the baseline for this guy. Yeah, you know, I think everything else is 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 just up there. Yeah, that's a fair point. Fair point indeed. But yeah, it ended really well. Twelve issues, great series. Definitely pick up the hardcover if uh, if you are late to the party. But uh, we move from the world of the distinguished competition into the world of mighty world of Warvel for the next one. What do you got? I've got Kang the Conqueror 3, I think I've talked about the first two issues of this as well. And uh, the cover doesn't lie in this case. You know, you can you can tell the book by its cover as this issue gives us Kang versus Doctor Doom. And the relationship between these characters is, is long and storied and twisty. But it's great action. It's great character interactions. It's solid development for young Kang. And it's great art. I mean, this this comes off the back of Loki and, and the introduction of Jonathan Majors as... The one who will be Kang, uh, you know, as, a, as we move into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So there's an interest in the character. Um, 
and, and so it's an origin story and you're you're seeing all of the various things that Kang was, Ramatut and the Scarlet Centurion and, and all of these things. It's 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 really interesting. The art is Carlos Magno and the colours are uh, Epson uh, Grundigern and both continue to excel in the comic and making the action and the locations and the characters all look fantastic. And I've said it before, I said it a few weeks ago, I said it a few weeks before that, but Kelly and Lansing are writers to watch. That that writing team are those those two are gonna take over the world. Those or are... our world anyway, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Those are some uh, some big words to say the least. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. This is this is a great series and you know what they have done before has been has been great right? They're just they're just creeping away there. They're just they're they're doing you know what various other writers have done and they're just they're just creeping up behind them and man they are they I would say if you're going to if you're going to do the coffee and heroes thing and stick with creators tag these guys tag these guys well I mean if you like their stuff one I'd recommend to you is a, a boom comic that they did it was actually long before boom sort of became boom if that makes sense you know with obviously how much they've grown and so forth but they did this great before boom exploded would you say oh nicely done it's all about the boom, as we know. Uh, but yeah, they did a, an indie series called Joyride, and it was a sci-fi fantasy. It had echo, slight echoes of Saga. Uh, Marcus mm-hmm. Toe was the artist on it, but it was really, really good. It had sort of Cowboy Bebop type vibes to it as well, but it, uh, it was one that they, they co-wrote, so these guys have obviously been working together for, for quite some time, but mm-hmm. I remember reading mm-hmm. that back in the day, and uh, definitely one to, to keep an eye out for to add to your ever-growing pile. So, uh, yeah, that's Kang the Conqueror number three. And I'm going to go back to the Distinguished Competition and back to, again, another series that came to an end. So Wouldn't Nick, be like you. Wouldn't I be like know, you. I know, I know. I mean, I only had two Marvel titles this week. I'm not going to talk about Marvel stuff, am I? <laughs> but I promise to you know, move on the indie after this. But, yeah, so back to DC for me. Um, a, a miniseries that came to an end was Challenge of the Super Sons. It came to an end with number seven, uh, written by Peter J. Tomasi, art by Max Rayner, and... You know, it came to an end, and while it doesn't have the depth of something like Strange Adventures, you know, it makes up for it in humor, heart, and just a brilliant relationship between our two main characters. You know, this isn't the aged-up Jonathan Kent. This is where John and uh, Damien are very much at loggerheads. They're similarly aged. They're always in competition. Well, Damien thinks they're always in competition. Jonathan, not so much. But... uh, by issue seven, so Damien and Jonathan have travelled through time, they've saved members of the Justice League, they've scrapped with Vandal Savage, they've befriended a magician's apprentice. Now all they need to do for the final act is actually work out how to save themselves from a grisly fate. So Tomasi could write these two forever, I'd be happy. You know, he understands their chemistry probably better than anyone, to be honest. You know, the constant competition, as I say, the the insecurities that they share but they won't talk about that but the ultimate depth of their friendship. You know, Tomasi is able to squeeze great storytelling out of this and also a little bit of tension as well. So, you know, keep an eye out for this when it hits straight, just for some classic, fun, all-ages superhero storytelling. You know, you'll you'll have a really good time reading it, so you will, uh, if nothing else. So, yeah, Challenge of Super Sons number seven. And just like we... Some... Sorry to, 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 to hop in there, Alan. I mean, it's, it's, it's not... I've read... Tomasi since he came off this and was on Superman and this and that and the other, but I mean I think I'll go back to this because I really I really love John Kent uh, as a character. Mm-hmm. I think he's fantastic, and I've got to really enjoy Damien 
through Joshua Williamson's. I mean, he's still not the best Robin. He's still an annoying little prick. Um, but that's what he's good at. And but I think that their relationship is is just one of the fantastic relationships of comics. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I mean, that you know, that this... Super Sun series is you know that the Tomasi originally did with Gleason as well on art was yeah, was fantastic. Yeah. But uh, I'll pick it up in some format or other. Yeah, but you know, I just have to backtrack there. He's clearly the best Robin. But you know, conversation for another day. He's not. He's not. He's not. But that's also <laughs> a conversation for another day. <laughs> well, just like we did after my last DC pick, we went back to Marvel, and just after this DC pick, we're going back to Marvel. I had a lot of Marvel on my list this week, you know, and uh, <laughs> we're we're, we're, sure, we're showing our stereotypes here, aren't we? This week, sure. There's nothing wrong with that, you know, but. Uh, I know one of your favourites. Uh, we've got Cantwell and uh, Cafu's Iron Man number 13 on my list. And the past 13 issues of Cantwell's Iron Man, which I've talked about many of them, have just simply been some of the best comic book storytelling that I've read from Marvel in a lot of years. Cafu delivers beautiful imagery throughout the issue with huge sweeping battles and gorgeously intimate detailed characters and the epic showdown between Iron Man and his allies and Korvac and his cohort continues aboard uh, Tattoo Galactus's Tattoo uh, Galactus's world ship and Tony's reinforcements have finally arrived and, and Tony now stands a better chance of stopping Korvac from accessing the Park Cosmic which you know you're familiar with from Silver Surfer and becoming a power crazed god all over again the characters that are involved Tony War Machine, Hellcat, Scarlet Spider, Frogman, Gargoyle, Misty Knight, and Halcyon, a couple of whom are now a major part of Spider-Man Beyond, are so vulnerable to the situation that they're in, and Cantwell has already demonstrated that he is not afraid to damage beloved heroes. So there's no comfort in their status within the Marvel Universe. I mean, this is a really, it's just a really nail-biting issue. I just, you know, I know, I know I'm I'm like a broken record with this, and I know I'm partly like a broken. I'm partly like a broken record because you're not reading it, and I like you to read good things. <laughs> I have no doubt I will get to it someday. You know, just <laughs> just as I got to Immortal Hulk at the very last second, you know, and uh, just as I listened to you on Conan, I'll no doubt read it at some point. I have no doubt because my next uh, pick is uh, an indie pick. But uh-huh. uh, Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, number five. And the reason I say that it links very well to your recommendation for Iron Man. So Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, the creative team is Kyle Starks and Chris Schweizer. And I had a, a, a quiet day in the store a few days ago and I thought, I'll sit and read something. Uh, I didn't have my pull list with me, but all my graphics are upstairs in the store, just moving house and stuff. And I went up... All your f- personal graphics. All my personal collection. Graphics. Yeah, very yeah. much so. Uh-huh. But not just my personal graphics, but graphics that people have been kind enough to lend me, and one of which was right at the start of lockdown from yourself, and it was two volumes of a, an image title called Rock Candy Mountain, which is from the same creative team as Six Sidekicks, and it was uh-huh. another one that you banged on about for a long time, and holy you crap. You ignored me about for a long time? Yeah. Holy crap, it was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> so I, I almost locked the door of the store when I was reading it, because I was like, I don't want anybody to interrupt me while I'm reading this. But uh, yeah, you know, having just recently enjoyed Rock Candy Mount, you know, I I felt I wanted to bring, you know, Trigger Keaton. We've talked about it before, of course, but I wanted to bring it back to the spotlight, you know, in advance of it hitting trade paperback because that creative team working together is solid gold. Humorous, adventurous, fun, 
uh, you know, it's it's a cartoony style, but there's weight to it. It's just what they do is fantastic. And I'm with issue the, five. Sorry, no, go ahead. You, the the, the stories, not the, I mean, the stories are very different, but the and and the themes are very different, but the tones remind me very much of Jeff Smith and Bone. Yeah, you know that 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 slightly comedic, slightly humorous, slightly cartoony with weight i yeah. think you've done a really good job of describing both bone and the sidekicks of trigger keaton there yeah i think that i think that's true i mean when i was reading rock candy mountain it definitely had echoes of bones you know the cross-country adventuring of it as well and you know the the banter between characters mm-hmm. and so forth but then that sort of hidden mysticism at the at the base of it um, yeah, the, the yeah, would, yeah the would be silly if it's not done right but it has weight to it and it just uh, it's yeah. great as as does the side six sidekicks of trigger keaton in a way yeah very much so and and with issue five you know it's it's going to be a six issue mini series so with issue five we're we're getting closer to the end we're you know finding out the full truth as to who's responsible for the death of trigger by the way i know because i've read issue six uh but our sidekicks are you know <laughs> Their loyalty to each other is tested in a lot of funny ways, you know. But also in this issue, tons of fighting, and everyone really does get a moment to shine. You know, these, this team, these guys, they just know how to put an original, charming, but still very much adult title together. You know, it's for me, this is up there with the most fun comics of the year, and it feels really unique as well in that there isn't another comic out there at the moment I would compare it to. Well, other than Rock Candy Mountain, of course. <laughs> that was a few years ago now. A few years ago now, but very fresh to me, shall we say. But uh, yeah, just a great, great title. And uh, again, keep an eye out for it in trade paperback when it hits that point. So uh, I see a couple just for yourself then to finish off in the old honourable mentions. Yeah, probably one you'll pitch in on. Uh, Batman's Secret Files Miracle Molly one shot was a late buy for me, but it was it was very, very good. And it, it's part of the Secret Files sort of one shot range that are connected to, to Fear State. I think, um, you know, and they're supposed to be, well, there's not, I suppose they're Batman's files and these characters or whatever, but there's not really a lot of format around them. So what Tinian does with these secret files is, is what I suspect with this particular secret file is what I suspect the format is designed to do. And that's to get me much more interested in one of the new characters created during his Batman run. And this has done exactly that. It totally succeeds. Um, Molly was already much higher on the interest list for me than Punchline or Clown Hunter. She was up there with Ghostmaker or The Gardener. But this origin story has pushed her over the edge for me and makes her a much more integral part of the series, for me at least. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those one of those stories that I didn't know I needed, but I'm very happy that I listened to you about it. I think that's a good description for it. It's like these secret files, I've always said, they can be a little hit and miss and... You know, sometimes you'll feel like you're missing out on anything if you don't actually read it. But this was a brilliant issue. I thought that was, Whoa. you know, it, similar to yourself in that it was, it was a character I wanted to know more about to a degree. But I was happy learning more about it through the main bat title. But you know, then one away came out her first appearance, and you know, we saw the ugly side of the industry with all these variant covers and store exclusives, and you know, nearly I was almost sick of the character before we met her. But then this one shot brought me all the way back around. You know, I, I thought really yep. interesting character, really interesting backstory, and so much more than the worry was going to be of it being just a clone of Harley or Punchline or, a, mm. you know, just a slightly different take on it. But yeah, a great, great issue and great one shot. Yeah, and, I, and a fantastic, fantastic story. Just I love the, you know, this mousy internet nerd, you know, and a and a and a, a failing marriage, you know, and and uh, just blossoming and finding 
finding her her activist or inner activist and it's and in some ways it was a story about about being being activated you know Mm -hmm. finding a cause that makes you feel like you want to you know i guess take up take up arms whether those are physical or digital you know and, Mm -hmm. and fight against something you know and there's Finding her passion, I guess. That was, yeah, pretty pretty cool. Pretty cool yeah. story. A lot more depth than expected to that title, definitely. So, yeah, yep, yep. So, yeah, that was the Batman Secret Files Miracle Molly, as, as Keith said, just a, a bit of a late buy for him, but uh, the fact that it was worth a mention was uh, is definitely testament to how good it was. So, just one last one to finish off with then. One of your favorite fandoms, I believe. Absolutely, and whenever you say there, there's a depth to, to Miracle Molly, I'm not sure if there was the same depth to this, but that doesn't make it any less interesting and that was uh, star trek the mirror war number one and it was it's the return to the mirror universe of the next generation that was never chronicled in the show it was chronicled in all the other shows but the next generation never had their nip into the mirror universe which is the 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 the, the i guess the dark mirror of the federation and that but it's been fully realized by the tipton brothers during their their idw comics run uh and a lot of uh, I guess single issues that have now been collected in the trade paperbacks about that and this is the start of a months long saga that I think is going to bring all of that to a head with the, the Mirror War number one I mean it, it really isn't a bad time to be a Trek fan you know with the Lower Decks and Prodigy and uh, you know apart from the recent last minute announcements from Discovery you know about about Star Trek Discovery and, and it only being on Paramount Plus and being pulled off Netflix in the UK, which is a real pain in the buttocks, I can tell you. Um, and I'd, say, imagine, I'd imagine the same's going to happen to Picard. But in general, it's not a bad time to be a, a Trek fan. And this is a real addition to that. Uh, it really doesn't get too much better than it is in comics. It's the idea of evil versions of your heroes as a tried and true plot device. But, you know, Star Trek has done it well. You know, with uh, <laughs> of course, in Star Trek, we know that, that all of... All of our heroes are evil whenever they have beards, <laughs> you know, moustaches, what they should otherwise. But uh, it's neither boring nor stayed for me, you know, as a as a died in the wool trekkie anyway. And it it's hard to know whether or not you should be rooting for the evil Murr universe versions of our heroes or not, because they are our heroes and they're fighting against you know other evils within that universe, despite the fact they're bad gets as well you know but that's all part of the fun so yeah i really enjoyed the the zero issue and the first issue of this and i'm i'm in for the long haul and everything the tiptons have done with regard to star trek and idw is just nicely spot on yeah i mean it's a great example i think about comics and that uh you know they're a way to expand fandom you know not everything has to be a tv show there's there's ways of expanding it and ways of adding more depth to that universe and so forth through comics and you see tv shows continued in comics all the time and star trek's definitely one of the one of the bigger ones you know and obviously there's so many choices with star trek you know your next generation stuff your original series your, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, voyager everything else so but uh yeah that is star trek the mirror wars so We'll move away then from the uh, honourable mentions and on to the picks of the week. And given what a DC heavy week it was for me, it is absolutely no surprise to see it as a DC book. Also, it's no surprise to see it's a Batman book. But this one is worth it, believe me. So my pick of the week this week was Batman the Imposter number one. It's the start of a three-issue Black Label miniseries. Not silly size, so you have no excuses, Keith. Uh, Written by Matson Tomlin and art by Andreas Sorrentino. So, 
You know, the way I looked at this was a new prestige black label series from the co-writer of the upcoming Batman movie and the artist of Gideon Falls. Just hook this to my veins. If this is an indication of the depth of character exploration of the Dark Knight that we can expect from the upcoming Matt Reeves movie, then we are in for a treat. You know, it's it's not often that you can't decide whether the writing in a single issue is the standout or the art. But here, it's a perfect marriage in this book, which looks at the Batman mythology in a dark, well, I should say even darker than usual way, but also from a, a realistic standpoint. You know, this this is not a Batman who would be hanging out with the Justice League or, or be caught up saving the world. This is a Batman who is addicted to trying to make Gotham a better place, despite how hopeless it may seem. You know, he's he's trapped in a psychological loop, and this is not a balanced, suave Bruce Wayne whatsoever. Uh, you know, Batman is not Commissioner Gordon's best friend in this world. You know, in fact, Gordon is actually a disgraced cop who no one takes seriously. Alfred is not here to be his guiding hand and conscience. He left Bruce long ago. The main relationship actually being explored is with Leslie Tompkins, who constantly challenges Bruce's methods and criticizes his rage and his methods. She even threatens to rat him out to the police at one point about his, his identity if he leaves her apartment before they've actually finished their conversation. But it's also a look at a Gotham City not bogged down in clowns and over-the-top villains, but marred in crime and corruption. And what could a vigilante dressed up in a bat suit who has a code and a line he won't cross, what can he really do? You know, this, this is a point further explored by the arrival of another Batman in Gotham. This is the imposter of the title. And this one has no problem killing people. And what's interesting is this development, that it even shows that the relationship between Bruce and Leslie is nowhere near the normal canon. You know, at first she's not convinced that it's not Bruce has not just snapped and has started killing people. Like, she's convinced that this imposter is actually him. You know, there's there's the introduction of new characters to the city of Gotham, which keeps the title feeling fresh and new. And this is definitely exemplified most in Detective Wong, who becomes a key figure as the series goes on. You know, spoiler, I may have read issue two already. <coughs> But yeah, to call this series beautiful is doing it as an absolute disservice. You know, this is up there with the best-looking books of the year. Dynamic action sequences, great expression work in every character's face, and some of the most imaginative page layouts you will ever see in a comic. You know, there is there is often the idea that there are too many Batman books on the shelves. You know, but once again, we're shown that the approach to how you can write Batman can be varied from book to book. You know, again have to iterate the point this is up there with the best of the year for me and a brilliant addition to the world of batman so this is one you need to be on this is right in your wheelhouse uh but i'm not but you need to be you need okay. to be <laughs> honestly it's i mean it's 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 brilliant i mean the as i say the art is is enough to sell the title on its own but the fact that it's a grounded sort of realistic look at what is this crazy man in the bat suit how is he going to stand up to crime and do anything about it you know, it's it's just honestly, it's the fact. Once I realized it was written by the co-writer of the upcoming The Batman movie, after I'd finished it, I was so excited. I was like, "This guy gets a fresh take on a character that's been around for eighty years," which is no mean feat in itself. Uh, just honestly, fantastic stuff. I really can't recommend it enough. Any uh, any first and second issues left? I have number ones in the store. I've been holding one back until he asked for it. <laughs> right okay well sure maybe have a conversation tomorrow <laughs> maybe we will but we are going to move away from batman the imposter because it has arrived folks the time has finally arrived because i have not read it all keith can finally deep dive into probably one of his favorite comic series possibly of all time definitely of recent times what would that be 
it's going to be the Immortal Hulk, Al Ewing. Uh, his, I mean, it's it's here his giant-sized finale to his seminal character-defining run and one of the MU's most recognizable characters, and like that is the Immortal Hulk. Uh, and uh, I mean, I think what's more impressive is the fact that you've read it all. Took me about two and a half weeks, I would say. I mean, it's it's the biggest compliment I can give anything when you set one when you collect it in single issues. And you set one issue down and straight away you just pick the next one up. And I think I read it in four blocks. I read 1 to 12, 13 to 30. That was a long run. Uh, 31 to 45. And then I wanted to read the last arc on its own because mm-hmm. it was you know coming to the end. So, But yeah, yeah. Uh, again, another series you're right on. I hold my hands up. <laughs> Thank you, so. I mean, the external factors aside um immortal hulk 50 is a fantastic ending to a series that has been one of the pinnacles of superhero comics uh companies aside um it's everything that made the previous 49 installments that they were condensed and concentrated and stuffed into a hulk size packaged and numbered 50 from the scope to its action, to the art, to its final statement on who the Hulk is and what it means to be Bruce Banner. Al Ewing, I think, delivers an ending that that can't be missed to a series that can't be missed. The visuals are brilliant. They're filled with scope and and absolutely gorgeous detail. The issue is filled with emotion in every page. That's the emotions that define Bruce Banner, pain and suffering and torture and indifference and isolation. And every panel delivers fantastic imagery. The whole series has been an exploration of Banner's dissociative identity disorder, whether internally or externally, and, and what that means, you know, to someone who is gamma-powered. And here, all of Bruce Banner's alter egos literally go through hell and it ends as maybe as well as it as it might have had might have might have ended you know including a last word on the green door which i'm sure you're now very familiar with alan <laughs> you know uh, endings of runs i think are always really funny things and maybe it's not the ending that any of us had in our heads but there's a reason that al ewing is writing this and none of us are Mm-hmm. And I think this is the perfect ending to the book that he has masterfully guided since the first issue blew us all away on the Coffee and Heroes podcast. God, what? How many years ago? Five years ago now? Uh, four years, years ago? Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, throughout the whole series, he didn't put a gamma powered step wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, we were we were chatting about it, we were texting about it, and. You know, I, I said that it's probably the most imaginative and out there and enjoyable run for me on a Marvel series, probably since Dan Slott's Silver Surfer, which, again, mm-hmm. anyone who knows me knows how highly I regard that series as well. So, But, yeah, just everything about it, it was, you know, it was horror, horror in places, you know, dark body horror. There was, you know, mental torture. There was stuff, you know, there was father issues, of course. There was a literal trip through hell there was a re-examination of marriage there was all sorts of things just thrown through this book and and i think a mention must go as well to alex ross's covers which were just absolutely stellar from start to finish as well 
And uh, yeah, this oversized finale was everything we hoped it would be. It left the Hulk in an interesting place. And, you know, obviously Donny Cates is going to take the reins. I mean, I know, for example, I've chatted with Stephen a little bit about it. And he wasn't a fan of the, the free comic book day preview for Hulk number one because Hulk mm. was a bit jokey and this and that. But after finishing Immortal Hulk, I can see why he's done that because they needed to do a complete tonal shift because otherwise it was just going to be compared to this book. And it was never yeah. going to live up to it. Absolutely, it has to. It has to. There's, it's got to separate itself completely from the themes, the tones, the darkness. You know, yeah, the, the pathos. Yeah. The, you know, this 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 tackled some heady heady issues the whole way through the book. And I think you needed to go in that opposite direction for it. You know, I think there was no way Donny Cates could have come in and told a, a quote darker uh, Hulk story. There was one line that really stood out to me in the whole thing. There, and ironically, we talk about all this darkness, but it was funny, and I think it's one of the funniest lines I've read in comics in a long time. And it's at a point where the Avengers are sent in to control Hulk, and at this point, Blade is part of the Avengers, mm-hmm. and uh, Hulk Hulk's holding up uh, Blade, and he's like, he says to him. Can you turn into a bat? Because that would be useful about now. And he just punches him, and his blade flies miles through the air. I just saw, just for whatever reason, that just really, really tickled me. <laughs> that was class. That was a yeah. That was a yeah. That was uh, yeah. Fun, fun, fun. Yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly brilliant series. I mean, it's it's one that I you know sourced all the single issues on uh, in terms of reading the catch up. But you know, you've got hard covers covering a lot of it. You've got trade paperbacks. It's widely available now, and yeah, it's definitely one of Marvel's best runs. And and I would say that because it's so weighty, I think it's good to read it in a big block like I did. I mean, you obviously experienced it in a different way. You were reading it month to month, mm-hmm. and every month you were saying like, this just gets better and better. I mean. It, it's definitely worth a deeper discussion at some point uh, about the merits of block reading versus issue on issue, mm. you know? And I think it's probably worth a deeper discussion about this run in general. Well, this is true, but it might just be three or four hours of you going, this is amazing, I can finally talk about it. <laughs> so, yeah, no, definitely a fine choice and uh, a series I massively, massively enjoyed as well. So uh, that was the epic-sized triple sized ending to Immortal Hulk from Al Ewing and it was interesting Al Ewing was another one we we were lucky enough to get a bit of a private audience with and you know I'd asked him a couple of questions but I asked him at one point he knew it was going to be 50 issues and he said at issue 25 because that really felt like the midpoint that of course was another large sized issue that was like the Mm -hmm. cosmic destroyer of worlds issue Uh, and he basically said at that point that's where he knew he wanted that to be the midpoint and for it to be a 50 issue series so um, but yeah, if you're a fan of his writing as well, obviously he's taking over Venom. Uh, Donny Cates and Al Ewing are basically doing the old switcheroo. Uh, Donny Cates going on to Hulk, Al Ewing going on to Venom, along with Ram V, who we're, we're huge fans of as well. And I asked them how much material they have for Venom, and they said enough at least for four years worth. So if you're a fan, Al Ewing's in it for the, for the long haul also. So uh, yeah, that brings to an end then the comics released on the 13th of October 2021. So we're going to cut it off there. You're going to switch it over to a brand new track and you're going to listen to us talk about the best titles from the 20th of October next up. So hope you guys enjoyed this one as always. And again, if ever, ever anything appeals to you, get in touch. We will make it happen. So hope you enjoyed this and we'll see you back for the 20th of October. So I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller. 
You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm Ascanison00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.